All right, all right. Good morning and welcome to day two of Pacific Bitcoin. This is Cafe Bitcoin Live, coming to you live from the Swan Dome. All right, so welcome. Glad you guys could be here. We do Cafe Bitcoin every single day on Twitter Spaces, uh, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. 10, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. Obviously, we're doing this live from here. This is also a, a podcast, by the way, on Spotify and Apple. You can check it out there. I want to welcome, joining me today, we've got Battle Ant down there on the end. <laughs> Peter Ansel. Dombe. That's not nice. Tomer Strolite. Hey, and Tip NZ. How come you got the biggest applause? I don't know. Maybe I flew <laughs> the longest way to be here. <laughs> okay. Uh, quick, a quick uh, thing on the sides over here. You've got time chain stats. This is the creation of Battle Ant over here. If you've never been there before, timechainstats.com. All kinds of statistics on Bitcoin, everything that's going on. In this top left corner right here where it says last block, every 10 minutes there is, for those of you who don't know, every 10 minutes there is a new block added to the time chain. It's full of transactions. This is the record going all the way back to the Genesis block and contains all the information of what Bitcoin lives where, essentially. When a new block comes up, that thing will have an orange border around it and we'll say block found. So we're gonna ask for audience participation today. When you guys see that thing turn orange and you see new block found, I want you to shout out block found. Let's try it for a moment. Y'all ready? Three, two, one. Block found. That was pretty good, way better than yesterday. If you're listening to this and you're here yesterday, you're way lamer than these people. Okay. Um, let's just get rolling. Ant, let's start with you, man. Talk to us about things, like anything what? you want. Putting you right on the spot. First Freestyle thing. Friday for Ant. I don't have anything. I'm uh, right now. I'm looking at my. I have my phone here, so I've got my time chain stats up. So I'm actually like trying to figure out what's going on here. You've probably seen that these fees are going back and forth. Right now, I went to bed last night. It was like four sats per V-byte. And right now, I'm looking at 43 sats per V-byte. So, <clears throat> and of course, uh, the last, the mining pool that got that was Ant Pool. I'm not affiliated with them, so. <clears throat> hey, Ant, let's talk about halvings for a second, because that's coming up. It's a big deal. A lot of people don't know what that means. Explain this thing if you don't mind. Yeah, so the way that I break it down to like people in my real life is if you were to find, uh, you know, if you were like digging around, you found gold in your backyard, for example, or oil or, you know, whatever. And, you know, when Satoshi made Bitcoin, uh, Satoshi knew that you can't just drop anything of value just on the people, you know, just on the population all at once and just here's the money we're going to use and, and, and here it all is, you know. You have to make it scarce. There's, there's properties of money that exist, like scarce and, you know, supply and, and, and hard to get and things like this that come into play. So when you do the analogy of, you know, gold in your backyard, I think about it in terms of when you, you're just hanging out in your backyard and all of a sudden you find a little bit, you know, like a gold nugget on the ground. Like you'll be able to dig up with your fingers and you'll be able to probably get some more right away. And, you know, uh, at some point you're going to want to get maybe like a spoon out there you're gonna have to like dig a little bit deeper and maybe get like a little shovel or something and, and you're gonna get more as you go deeper but it's gonna get harder you're gonna get less as you go down at some point you're gonna want to bring in like you know some heavy equipment and you know really get serious about digging down in there you're getting less but you're still being able to pull out you know with more that you're bringing to the table so with the having it's kind of a similar dynamic in my mind where you know it, it in the very beginning, uh, for every block, like for example, when Alex was saying every 10 minutes, you know, there's a there's a, a a bit of a bit of Bitcoin that's in the block that's being released into the into the network. So, in the in the very beginning, you know, that amount was 50 bitcoins per block, and so, so every, in other words, every 10 minutes, 50 bitcoins. Got 50 bitcoin. Yeah, the you if know, you, if you had a miner running back in the beginning, first four years of Bitcoin's life. Every 10 minutes, some miner got 50 Bitcoin 
every yeah. 10 minutes. That's the spoon. Every 10 minutes. That's the, the little shovel. You know, you're, you're getting a lot for, for you know, so, like not a lot of uh, mining power, so to speak. Um, How but, many of you wouldn't mind having 50 Bitcoin? Could have been the first 10-minute block or whatever, any, any time in there. That's coming next. Time chain, time machine that Ant's going to build. <laughs> I mean, at some point, you know, this, the predictability of the distribution of Bitcoin throughout the network, it shows up in these halving schedules. So you can see that, you know, in the beginning it was 50 Bitcoins per block. Uh, you know, and then it goes down. When this having event happens in the in the code, it it drops the subsidy in half right then. So we go from 50 to 25, and you know that's just the reality of it. And uh, so then you know you you go through. When when I came in, it was uh, two, uh, 12.5 Bitcoin in every reward in every uh, subsidy. So you know that's like 1,800 Bitcoin a day uh, when you do the math. And you know suddenly in uh, the 2020 having it went down to where we are now, 6.25 Bitcoin uh, in the subsidy. So that's like 900 per day. And it's, it's just, you see it going down. And so when you think about it in terms of, you know, the analogy again, it, it's like I said, Satoshi knew you can't just drop all this on the people and just be like, this is the value. You know, you have to make people work for this, you know. And so this is the way it goes. You were getting it down and now we're coming up. And so... So coming up here in 2024 yeah. is the next one, the next halving, which means it's going to drop. It went from 900. It's going to drop down to, I guess, what, what would be the next one, 450-ish a day? Yeah, it's going to be 450. Tomer, Strolight, yeah. do you have anything to add to this? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to make the whole show about mining today, but it, uh, when Satoshi created Bitcoin, he, wa he didn't keep it all for himself. Right? He wanted it to be fairly distributed. And he set it up so that people who worked to secure the network and keep it decentralized would be the ones who would be rewarded with the Bitcoin. And the early arrivers would be rewarded with more Bitcoin for less effort than later on. It could have been less effort going on if, no, if it wasn't going to catch on, but it did catch on. And the these halvings, which cut the reward in half, encourage people not to procrastinate. Like, get involved while the reward is 50 or while it's 25 or while it's 12.5 or while it's six and a quarter or while it's 3.125 because it's going to keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and there's going to be more and more competition. But anyone can enter the mining competition, anyone in the world. You don't have to ask Satoshi for permission or ask Bitcoin for permission. You just have to get equipment, which you don't need permission to do, and access power. So there's not everyone can do it efficiently. The most efficient people in the world do it, but uh, anyone in the world is able to participate in securing the Bitcoin network and getting paid for it, not in dollars, but in Bitcoin. So it, it, it is a self-sustaining system from the very beginning with a whole planned distribution that's decentralized from the very outset. Anyone with access to power, energy can participate, literally anyone in the world at any point in time. But the sooner you got involved, obviously, uh, the better. All right. So, hey. but... Oh, sorry. But going down from like, you know, that having event, that that's what I was trying to get to around like the, the numbers. So when you have like, um, you know, from 900 down to 450, like we've talked about this before, like what happens at the having if you haven't lived through it yet? Like for you personally, nothing's going to happen. You know, you're just going to be there and, and suddenly it's just going to take place. It might happen even, you know, when you're not even looking. And then it takes a little bit of time where suddenly like you have to realize this you know, the, the miners are still mining. They have their costs and, and you know, uh, uh, their production costs. And then you also have the exchanges and everybody who's trying to sell and, you know, sell these uh, coins to the to retail. And it just takes time to catch up where suddenly, you know, the the market for the, for the, you know, sourced Bitcoin is trying to get this Bitcoin and it costs more. And suddenly, you know, what I saw at least in 2020 is, you know, it, about five or six months later for us at least, and historically too, it starts to go parabolic. Yeah, you're talking about the price in US dollars, right? There, and there's, there's two ways to think about uh, what the price of Bitcoin is. It's like, how much energy does it take to produce a Bitcoin? Or how much US dollars does it cost to get someone to surrender a, a Bitcoin that was produced with energy to you? And of course, when Bitcoin started, the world's currency was the US dollar. It still is very much to, uh, to this day. But you know, ha have it, seeing the U.S. dollar price is something that obviously everybody thinks a lot about today. But when these halving events occur, it means that the people who are 
paying with energy to produce Bitcoin, the miners, and who then need to pay for their energy with dollars, have less Bitcoin to sell. Right? They're earning less Bitcoin, and so there's less Bitcoin being sold on the market. Um, and and the, other, the other chart you see for those people in the audience, with, which is that orange line, that's how much harder it is getting to produce a Bitcoin even without a halving event. That's the competition, the hash rate uh, to produce it. So it's costing more and more US dollars to produce, um, to, to produce Bitcoin. And so all of these things tend to lead to the US dollar denominated price of Bitcoin going up when you zoom out far enough over time. It was a time when a Bitcoin was under a dollar, uh, and now it's about $28,000 as I squint. Uh, who knows how high it can get, but these halving events obviously put pressure on how many new Bitcoin are launched into the market, and people want to hold on to these things. So supply and demand just uh, tends to be, um, you know, if, when, when the petroleum exporting countries say they're going to cut production, the price of oil goes up. The, the miners don't say they're going to cut production. Satoshi said when he released Bitcoin, we're going to cut production every four years by half, and nobody can change that rule. There's no, nobody can meet together to say, well, we're going to increase the supply to keep the price down. The price of Bitcoin is a function of its demand. The supply of Bitcoin is fixed. It, 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 it's predetermined for all time. There's also uh, currently record low amounts of Bitcoin on exchanges today. Some people say that's not a big deal. I personally think that's pretty important. I saw this really interesting uh, stat the other day um, that if you took the current amount of Bitcoin that's available on exchanges for essentially for sale right now and you were to divide it by the number of millionaires in the world today, each millionaire would only get 0.04 Bitcoin. Give you an idea of how currently scarce it is, assuming no more Bitcoins put back on the exchanges. And moving forward, that amount of Bitcoin that's being added to the total supply keeps reducing over time. And that's what that's all about. All right. Any other comments down here? I was just going to say, you know, the having, I've been trying to read more macro. My macro's subpar at best. Um, and it's, you know, the having is like this beautiful intersection. I was reading about the labor theory of value. Um, which is basically the value of any product is the, the, the labor, the efforts, the production that goes into it. So, you know, if Tomer's shirt takes six hours to make and mine takes 12, he should get two of my shirts for his one. That's the concept. That was replaced with the subjective theory of value, which is it's all about demand and, and supply and, and how bad do you want that shirt and how bad do people want it. The having is like this intersection where you have both firing kind of simultaneously and it's really interesting to watch as you're seeing, you know, the adjustment of the of the reward. And then it's also all these external inputs, like Ant was saying, like it's boring in a in a sense, but all these things and the way people react and how it affects Bitcoin and the price is it's pretty interesting to watch. I'm excited. All right, talking about supply demand type dynamics, tip and Z. Many of you know her as an artist who've, who has created certain works that are pretty awesome, but not everybody knows what her background is. By the way, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Best intro song of all time. For sure. Uh, if you don't mind, you might have some things to say about this because your background is pretty interesting. A lot of people don't realize uh, maybe the kind of things that you have done or what you've been exposed to, which has led you to where you are today. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, my name is Tip, I'm from New Zealand. Um, I grew up in Thailand and then eventually moved to New Zealand and my background is in finance and economics. So um, straight out of university, I worked for a New Zealand sovereign wealth fund, which is a government fund um, that was created to solve this problem because New Zealand has a lot of uh, boomers, not enough children to kind of um, grow up and create taxes in order to help them retire. So the government created a fund so that we can help um, our people retire. And I was really drawn to that idea of, that's amazing, we're going to grow wealth for our country, to grow wealth for, for the people and um, create this like beautiful life for people not to worry and stress about retirement. And um, going into it, uh, I, I'm from a view of 
there are so many beautiful people working in government who don't really understand that the how the whole entire system works. And I was one of them going into it wanting to do good. Um, and so we, my job was to, it was kind of like a, a Warren Buffett role where we had to choose 10 stocks that we want to hold for the next 10 to 20 years. So we had this really awesome long mindset, not buy, sell, but really what fundamentally do we love about these companies? What can we invest in? How do we grow these companies? Um, but going in there, I was like 22, didn't really know, like, how can a 22-year-old know what companies to hold for the next 20 years, manage half a billion dollars, and know how to analyze stocks? Like, even if you're 50, it's still very, very hard to do. It's a very hard role to put on one individual. And so I realized, like, a lot of us were there trying to do good, but the system is just so convoluted, most of the time it's not even up to us how the fundamentals change because sometimes it's not even fundamental about the company, it's about the interest rates or what the government thinks should happen or ha has control over. So for me, I felt really uncomfortable in, in a role where I was expected to be an oracle. I wasn't an oracle. I am not Warren Buffett and, and, I, and I know that. Um, so it was this kind of path of trying to understand, okay, how do we still meet the goal of helping people retire, help people grow wealth, but not have to put so much um, responsibility on a central institution like a sovereign wealth fund, like a pension fund. And what we saw last year in FTX, for example, Canadian pension funds investing in FTX stocks because they thought that was a great way to grow the wealth for um, Canadians. Noble goal, but the path to get there, it doesn't make sense. How, do, how are people supposed to know what crypto to not invest in, what bonds, what stocks, all these things. And this is kind of what my um, performance will be on today. It's called reality. And it talks about we are creating this reality based off this warped concept that we need to understand how the future will turn out. Um, and so, sorry, I'm waffling, but I, I, le I left the pension fund because You're doing great. <laughs> I wanted to actually create something. So I want to join a startup because founders are at the root, grassroots of value creation for the entire economy. If we don't have founders, if we don't have people actually creating and putting products out there into the world, none of this would exist. We wouldn't have phones, we wouldn't have clothes, we wouldn't have um, anything really. So I was like, I want to be on the grassroots. I want to be creating things. I want to be writing the code. I want to be doing something with my life rather than move capital around. And even then, as a founder, we got caught up in this capital raising cycle of well, we need to raise another for another nine months. We're, half of the job was raising the capital to build the product, which is insane. It's like, why are we spending so much time worried about how are we going to get the money? So much time pitching this perfect product to a group, again, a group of people that get to decide, yes, you get to live today. No, you don't get to live today. That is Roman Empire right there. And it's just like, why are we doing this again? Why are we assuming that people know, you know, what is best for... 8 billion people around the world. That doesn't make sense. And so um, I eventually went into venture capital because I wanted to understand like, what is so special about these five people sitting on our boards that makes them know everything about our business, our customers, our people. And I went in there and I, I, I feel like I didn't, I, I learned a lot, but I felt like I wasn't any more of an oracle. I felt like I wasn't any more knowledgeable about the world, um, being in that special room, being a board member, being um, the person who gets to allocate these millions of dollars. And again, as a venture capitalist, I spend a lot of time capital raising for the money to invest in the companies. And so I was in the middle, fundraising, raising funds, fundraising, raising funds. So my whole day was about how do I move money around? But the craziest thing was, we were making so much money. I'd never made that much money in my entire life, and I felt like I wasn't making that much more of a difference. But it was the incentives of getting closer to the money printer that made everyone stick around, that made people feel like they were special, that made people feel like they were oracles, because there was all these signals coming towards us, people wanting to meet us, people wanting to get money from us, that made us feel like we must be smart, we must be special. But then it, 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 it took a lot to say, no, I, no, this is wrong, this is not it. And even though I could stay there and have a very amazing life, 
in terms of economic success and money, it wasn't reality. It wasn't the truth. It wasn't something that would make the world a better place and a wealthier place for everyone. And that was the goal that was always in my mind. That's why I joined um, the government fund in the first place. And I never let that goal go. And so I, I had to leave venture capital and I found Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was the answer that I was looking for the whole entire time is how do we give responsibility to people? How do we give wealth to people? How do we decentralize this power? Because we are powerful in knowing what we want no one else is powerful in knowing what we want. And so Bitcoin is the solution to everything that I've been trying to search for my entire life. So that, that is why, <laughs> that's it. Hey, Kip. Yep. Listening to your story reminded me of an anecdote of an experiment that, um, that I've heard of a couple of times, which is we are all familiar with the game Monopoly. Apparently, they've done these experiments where they change the rules and they give some of the players $200 every time they round the board, and they give the other players $0 every time they round the board. And, and so it's obvious who's going to win the game. But what, what's particularly interesting about this experiment is when they ask the people at the end of the game how they thought they did, and if they thought the game was fair, the people who get $200 thought that they played very well. They thought they were very good players. They thought it was fair. Like, so, so even, it, and this is what it means to, you know, it's simulating being close to the money printer versus not being close to the money printer, right? You're literally inserting money into the game and giving it to some people and not giving it to others. And it sounds exactly like what your experience was. And so in, probably not everyone in that experiment thinks it was fair, <laughs> as is the case with yours. And I think that's part of the problem. Like when money is inserted not in exchange for work and it's not gained for having, successful, having made successful decisions, but it is simply granted to those who are in positions of privilege, we end up with a distorted system that is where the privileged don't feel like they've necessarily done anything wrong. They, they think that they're very smart. Why, why have they been selected to be in this position of privilege? There must have been some justice to it. So anyhow, I just thought that was an interesting way to simulate and simplify that whole big and confusing experience, which is a monopoly at least simplifies it. Very broken financial system. The incentives are very broken. Uh, and it can't continue, basically. Mathematically, it can't continue. Socially, it can't continue. You see a continuous bifurcation of wealth, can't continue. So what happens next? What do you do? Obviously, to me, it's Bitcoin. You have a comment there? Opt out. Opt out. That's what we're all here to do is opt out, I think. I still remember that, that episode in Spaces of, for Cafe Bitcoin when Tip NZ came on. You know, I had heard the song, and then she starts going off with the pension stuff, and I'm like, this is not real. This is like, she's unbelievable. That's... Yeah, I, I want to thank you, uh, Tip, for, for that emotional uh, uh, call to action that you just did. Uh, this is day two where we, I mean, I teared up. I, I, think, I think you did as well. It, it seemed like you were incredibly passionate about that. Um, and it really, I, I just, I feel like this, I, I have this feeling of pride that there is, that there is people in this space who have so much passion and, and, and are so smart and have had such life experience that then they, they, they find, like myself and probably, I'm, I'm assuming like everybody in here, they find Bitcoin and it is just this, this, it's just a weight off of your shoulders. It is just so nice to be able to uh, to get to that point. And I just, I really want to thank you for your passion and for your art and, and all of the things that you do for all of us. What did you do with the real Peter? Huh? What did you do with the real Peter? Who are you and what have you done with the real Peter? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, all right. So uh, I wanted to talk about unconfiscatability, and I don't know that uh, Mr. Cardenius is still in here. It's unfortunate. I don't no, think, I think he, he is. Left. But So first of all, I saw Peter McCormick walk up to the tent, and um, he looked in. He saw Don Bay. He shook his head, and he left. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. I saw him mouth it. He said, Don Bay, I'm out of here. And he turned around and left. Um, I, I also want to talk a little bit about, about orange pilling. I think everybody in here has an obligation has a responsibility to, to spread the word of Bitcoin in whatever way that we can. For some people, it's wearing a Bitcoin hat. For other people, it's having a macro conversation. 
Um, and for other people, it's just asking questions. And Mr. Cardenas, who is uh, uh, a, uh, he's, he's under you, you're his captain? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's on, he's on Don Bay's uh, team in the firehouse. And he pulled up, and I asked him, I said, I said, what do you know about Bitcoin? He said, oh, well, Don Bay, I hear, his, I hear him every day. He's always talking about Bitcoin. I hear him every day, and, I, and, I, and I've, I've heard the same speech over and over again. So immediately, I know that he knows nothing about Bitcoin because he's been listening to Don Bay, right? <laughs> and so I, I, I then decided to ask him some questions. I just said, I said, hey, you know, um, what, what properties or functionality do you find interesting about Bitcoin? And he couldn't tell me one property or functionality of, of Bitcoin, one of the properties. And so I, now again, I know that Don Bay has done his job effectively and he, is, uh, he has made another person who is close to him not want Bitcoin. So then I said, I said to him, I said, well, you know, I was, what drew, what drew me to it's Bitcoin brutal. first was, was uh, uh, unconfiscatability and portability. And those are the things I had been interested in in gold. I had been interested in like trying to find a place that I could put my wealth where I could move around with it where I wanted and how I wanted. And of course, it's you get gold and you stick it in a safety deposit box or something like that. But then what do you do with it, right? There's nothing much you can do with it. So anyways, I asked, I, I told him about five properties. I told him it was permissionless. I kind of explained it a little bit in terms of I could move money whenever I wanted to. The bank really, I didn't have to ask for permission. The bank didn't have anything to do with it. Then we talked about portability. I said, you know, where's your wealth? He said, it's in my, it's in my home, my house. And I said, well, if something happens and you need that wealth, you can't get at it very quickly, can you? And then we started talking about the premium that goes along with real estate. And we all know why that premium is there. It's because you don't want to save your money in cash because we all know that cash devalues over time and we know that this premium's there. And then uh, I, I mentioned unconfiscatability. Um, and then uh, I, also, I also mentioned uh, scarcity. And I said, of those five things, what interests you the most? And he said, unconfiscatability. So now, Dom Bay, you have something to talk to about, to Mr. Cardenas, about something that interests him. And you can ask him some questions about unconfiscatability. And you can now go down that road. And hopefully, we will have another person on Bitcoin. Matter of fact, Mr. Cardenas did not even know that he already owns Bitcoin. And he already owns Bitcoin because of Don Bay. Being this young, you know, the, the, the benefits of being young. The funniest part about that story is as he was talking to Peter, I got a text that said, help me. <laughs> and I was like, bro, you don't seem, I said, then I saw him talking to Peter and I said, okay, I'm going to come help him out. So I helped him out and told him, oh, there's a fire over there. There's a, the generator's on fire. No, but seriously, people, seriously, this is, this is, I think this is, the, this is a great way to, to talk to individuals. You don't tell them things, you ask. And then you find a, some, some one, one property or, or some bit of functionality that they have interest in, and you just leave it at that. Oh, you got interest in unconfiscatability? Well, that might be something you want, one of the, want, want one of the, to look into. And, and I think Peter brings up a good point, which is tough to say that for Peter, but... You, you, this concept of leaving people little nuggets of thought, right? We, we often are tempted to explain all of Bitcoin in right away, right? And we get, we lock in, but leaving people with little, little things to think about. And like Peter was saying, like finding what is their thing that interests them, leave them a nugget or two and then set it and forget it, you know, like, like come back and those people will come back to you and usually say, hey, I've been thinking about this thing and I want to learn more about how it relates to my pension fund or something like, oh, cool, okay, here's some more info. So that's really been something that's been good lately, not trying to do that. Are you happy now, Tomer? I am, uh, you you, that was the verification that you okay. are the real Peter. I redeemed myself. Peter the orange pillar. All right, I want to point out one quick thing in regards to tip and Z is... Uh, that you don't often see someone who is willing to give up a position like that to do what she's done. That's an incredibly rare thing. So, very noble. She's a great example of a Bitcoiner. There's a lot of Bitcoiners who are very heart-oriented, service-oriented, just want to look out for their fellow human beings, and uh, I think it's a very interesting group of people to belong to and to be associated with. So. For those of you who don't know, Tomer Strolight's been around for a very long time in Bitcoin. Hi, everyone.
I consider him an OG. He's been around much longer than me. I've learned trem a tremendous amount about Bitcoin from Tomer. He's kind of like, we, we refer to him sometimes as the Bitcoin shaman on Cafe Bitcoin. Some of you guys know, if you're a regular listener, gets a little wild in there sometimes. He's the adult in the room, oftentimes. Tomer, uh, what's been on your mind lately? Uh, thanks. I'll t well, I've been at Pacific Bitcoin here with Swan since Monday, and the last yesterday and today are, are the conference. And one of the things that I want to talk about something that's like a non-monetary property of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is money, but it also has all these other values attached to it. And one of the things that's interesting, and you really notice it when you come to a conference like this, which is a Bitcoin-only conference, it's Bitcoin is a system that preaches don't trust, verify. And so you think, like our Bitcoin, there's people who don't trust anything and they verify absolutely everything. And that's not really the case. The reason people are drawn to a system that says don't trust, verify, is it is a system that forbids and rejects all forms of cheating. Nobody can cheat in Bitcoin. And so this is a room full of people, this is a conference full of people who don't like cheaters, who don't like cheating. And that largely means they're not cheaters themselves. And so what's really interesting is when you cross the gates and you enter into a, a conference, a giant hangar filled with people who don't cheat, it's these are people you can trust. You don't have to verify everything else. You share this common value that you're not trying to make money off of each other by lying to each other, by cheating to each other. You've all bought into a system where nobody can cheat. Hey, hey Tomer, real quick. Yeah. When you say nobody can cheat, is that because they're, the incentive is it's cheaper not to cheat? Or is it because it's, it's, it's very mathematically hard to cheat. impossible? You, you, you kind of have to break the rules of math and physics, which is really hard to do, right? Like, like breaking the rules of math is impossible. And, and you have to overwhelm the physics of, of, of the energy that goes into Bitcoin, which is like about one-tenth of one percent of all the energy that humans produce in the world at any given moment is going into Bitcoin mining. So you to, and there's all this equipment that goes into it. So overwhelming the Bitcoin network, and I can talk a little bit more about that, but it's a little tangential to the main point I'm making in a, in a bit, but it's, it's, in, it's impractical. And in, by impractical, I mean it, it's really, really hard. It's, so that's to your point that it's too expensive. It's overwhelmingly, insanely expensive and difficult to, to cheat in Bitcoin. So I want the people who ask themselves why have they been attracted to Bitcoin? Well, of course, we're all interested in being wealthier, but there's other ways to get wealthy. People who really dedicate their time to Bitcoin are people who are attracted to a system that is not, doesn't have cheating. And not, not only not cheating, but treats everyone with the same rules. Back to the monopoly example. Nobody gets 200 free dollars, 200 free Bitcoin, while somebody else gets no free, bit, no free Bitcoin in the game, right? Everyone plays by the same rules. And the, and the, rules, are, the, the rules are very explicit. They're very well explained, right? They were explained in the Satoshi white paper at the prior to the launch of Bitcoin, like before the game started, the rules were played, were explained, and they don't change after the fact. So it's a very fair system. And what I find is really amazing is once you get into a conversation with people here, you're able to do away with all that untrustingness. Not all of it. You're not like throwing money away, handing it to people, saying, uh, "Do something with this." But you're a you know you're dealing with people who share that really important value of yours. Whereas, if you go to some other conferences, like ones that have shit coins at them, you're having a conversation with somebody and they're nodding, but as soon as you're done talking, they're like, have you heard about so-and-so coin? They're, they're just waiting for their opening to sell you something that is that they're a bag that they're trying to dump on you. Nobody here is trying to sell you anything. They're trying to better understand Bitcoin. They're trying to share these non-monetary human values that come from wanting to tell the truth, not to cheat, not to break the rules. And so there's a lot of love that happens. You know, one of the, th uh, the I'll, I'll close the point off and then we can have a discussion about it. People talk about the reason we need money is because of this thing called Dunbar's number. What, a tribe that gets to be bigger, in a tribe of under 100 people, you can know everybody, you can trust everybody. Anyone who behaves untrustingly is called out by the whole community. Well, we live in a society of 8 billion people globally. So the, we don't have Dunbar's number and we need money, which is a trustless medium that says, I don't need to know if I trust you. If your money is real, then, then I, I, I can accept it. Is your money green used to be the expression. Bitcoin is taking it to another level, right? Like within here, although we've never met, we know we share the values of a particular tribe. 
right? Which is the, the tribe of non-cheaters, the tribe of people who are attracted to a system of fairness and equality and of treatment by all and transparency to all. And I think that creates for amazing conversations. The, the last uh, narrow point is we, we ever since uh, the lockdowns and the COVID crisis, and the economic difficulties, we see each other face-to-face -face a lot less. We're on Zoom, we're on Twitter for the people here, so we get less face-to-face -face contact. When we do get face-to-face -face contact, it's amazing when it's with our friends rather than with people who we don't trust. So this is a re these types of con conventions are a real opportunity to, get, to load up on the social contact that we've had kind of drained from ourselves. You need to fill up like a camel uh, nowadays because it's, it's not as easy to get as it used to be. And, uh, and so when you can fill up on social contact of high grade social contact with people who share your values, it's really exceptional. So I really encourage people who are here to come again, people who are listening to come to Bitcoin only conferences. You'll be amazed at how loving, you know, how filled with love the experience is. I think that's a pretty common experience. I think all of you who are here probably would agree with that. You talk to somebody, you find out they're a Bitcoiner. There's not that immediate necessary. Uh, there's, an, there's an immediate trust of some sort. So I think that's a pretty common thing that we've all had. Uh, you know, Alex, real quick, I, I just want to say last year when I was here, I was, like a, uh, I was like a hummingbird. I was here, there, here, there, here, there. I was trying to have conversations with everybody. And this year, I, I've changed that tact quite a bit, and I'm actually sitting down and having long conversations with a few individuals, and it's, it's, really, been, um, it's really been great. And I, I would suggest that if you have the opportunity to strike up a conversation with, with somebody, instead of uh, kind of uh, trying to think that maybe you have to run off and, and go somewhere, just have a long conversation with that person, because it's really been, it's, it's really been amazing. And, um, hey, Tip, I wanted to ask you, if I could, uh, where, where, are you, where are you based now? So you, it, went, it was Thailand to New Zealand. I don't know where you're based now. And, and then also, um, doing what you're doing now and with, with the art that you're doing, what has been the feedback? I mean, I know my feedback to you is, is it's been amazing and it strikes a core with me. I'm curious um, what kind of feedback that you've heard from people who are non-Bitcoiners and, and if your art is actually making a difference in the world. Um, yeah, so right now I'm based in New Zealand, in Auckland. So if any of you guys are ever in that part of the world, um, please let me know. I'd love to hang out with another Bitcoiner in New Zealand. Um, also, a shout out to, we're, we're having a conference in Australia called um, Bitcoin Alive. That's in Sydney. That's start of next year. If any of you guys are going to Australia, uh, we're trying to grow our community in that part of the world as well. Um, I'm kind of splitting my time half between New Zealand and Thailand. I'm originally from Thailand, from Bangkok, and I'm helping grow the Bitcoin community in Bangkok as well. It's so different. Like, it's amazing to have, to see all these Bitcoin communities in different parts of the world. Um, we had our first Bitcoin conference in Thailand this year in um, July, and we had about 700 people show up, and I think 90% was local people, which is amazing. Um, so there was all these um, Thai people interested in learning about mining. We even had a session on Sunday um, on how to run your lightning nodes. And I took a photo and it looked like a church sermon where everyone's kind of sitting around um, these like lecture hall type um, and, and then kind of just learning how to run lightning nodes. It was amazing. And so it's, it's growing really fast in that part of the world too in Southeast Asia. Um, so we're going to have another Bitcoin conference in Thailand uh, probably mid ne next year as well. Um, yeah, so I'm spent splitting my time between two places and also I find myself coming to the States a lot because the culture here is extremely strong. You guys are leading the way in terms of um, conferences and I'm really like thought leaders in Bitcoin. Uh, in terms of content, uh, I've, for me, I'm just trying to make space for understanding kind of like what are the key messages I need to put out there. So for me, it's not driven about by I need to put out a video every week or every day to meet some algorithm in social media. I struggle with that a lot. I don't post a lot, but I know that if I don't post a lot, my stuff doesn't really get pushed up. But then it's kind of like I, I want to choose quality over quantity. Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about what beautiful piece of 
content can I create next? Is it going to be a short film? Is it going to be a live performance? Is it going to be a short uh, rap video? Um, and I like to make time for that. So uh, it, it's really kind of up and down right now in terms of what I'm going to create next. Um, I've been inspired a lot by meeting Bitcoiners around the States. Um, I spent some time in Atlanta, in Nashville, in Austin. I'm going to Pleb Lab, Bitcoin Commons, Bitcoin Park, and, and El Salvador as well. So just trying to get inspiration from Bitcoiners and, and learn from them. Yeah, so <laughs> that's... And the feedback's been really positive. I find that most of the people who get the, the whole art, like not just the words, but the visuals, the, the feelings and everything, it's usually very hardcore Bitcoiners themselves. Um, so when I performed, I practiced at Bitcoin Park with a bunch of really amazing Bitcoiners. And those were my, the, the tribe of the people that get it. It's, it's you guys, it's you guys that get it. I, I don't really find myself um, venturing into uh, no coiner space that much, even though I want to, and I want to try and do that. Um, but the, the people who really, really love it and are ecstatic to see it are you. <laughs> so, yeah. It's the reason we play that song every single day. It reminds me every day of why we're doing this. Yeah, I love that song. I love whenever you say, uh, so we can move value without being censored. I just like love that part. Yeah. If you see, if you're on the, on the space in the morning, you usually see I, that's when I'm doing my, my fist up, you know? Tip is on the main stage at 12.30 today performing, right? You won't I, want to miss that. I find myself just walking through the... Uh, I'll find myself just walking through my house, you know, with little little bits from the song, you know, the open the door, it's a game. You know, you're just like, oh, yeah, you know. I think it's open the door, exit the game, so. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay, well. We, we need the lyrics published somewhere. But, it, but it's, it's a quick exit the game. It's a very flowing exit the game. This is, this is Dom Bay, trusting, not verifying. I, I just want video of Peter when that song plays before, and he's just dancing. He's like, oh, Peter's dancing right now to the track before <laughs> Cafe Big One. <laughs> I had a quick question for uh, Tip. You know, creating... Uh, I, I used to rap a little bit back in the day, and, and it's really difficult when creating anything in a short snippet of two to three minutes. Please, Not do, only please don't rap, Dom. Yeah. Please don't. I'll get to Peter in a second. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, you know, there's so much. You, you just gave a, a very beautiful oration on, on Bitcoin and some of the important things. And to try to condense a message into two to three minutes, how do you pick, you know, there's so many things you can make a song about and get that message in. How do you, like, get your message so perfectly packaged in that, two to three minutes for the listener? Um, I'd say the most important part of the process is what I call storyboarding. And I find that the more I do it, the more I spend a lot of time on trying to storyboard. So, like, I, I don't, I, I value my time. And so whoever watches my video, I value their time. And I want you to spend that two minutes just completely understanding what I'm trying to say. And so I need to massage it. I need to make sure that it actually flows. Um, I would liken like the, the process to first like sculpting um, a, a marble statue. When you have this big block, you've got all this information, you're sculpting it to try and create um, this perfect narrative so that it flows well. And then, and then you kind of mold it. So it's a kind of like a clay now. You're, you're kind of molding it to make sure that the words fit with the rhythm because when you're teaching a new concept, it actually, you, you retain information better when it flows to a rhythm and it rhymes. Like, pe people tend to want to understand, like, oh, that's a cool line. What does she mean by that? Like, you know, it's, you kind of try to help someone learn by thinking about everything about that concept. The visuals, the, the timing, the, the music, the beat of the music, the words, exact words that you want to choose. Um, so all of that is important, but the most... It all really comes together in the process of storyboarding, and that happens after the research. I've got a bunch of things I don't want to say. What should I say first? What makes sense that comes next? What makes sense that comes after that? What is the main message I want to give away at the end? And um, when I'm choosing which 
message to put out there, it's like, that's when I have to kind of tune into the world, spend a lot more time on Twitter, try to understand what are people feeling right now? Like, what are the, peop what are the pains right now? What are the key messages right now? For example, with Cantillonia's game, I wrote that after the Swans conference last year because that was the X FTX. I remember um, looking at social media, that was blowing up, and a lot of people were confused. And I was like, I can connect the dots. Like, I want to connect the dots and write a song about it. So that was, um, yeah, just it started off with um, understanding how the collapse of the exchanges happened, why that happened, the venture capital scene that helped field that, the government mon uh, funding and the pension funds that field that. And so it's like kind of stepping it um, step by step to help the audience um, understand the bigger picture by um, slowly kind of getting all the details. Um, yeah. <laughs> Last year, we didn't even know what, what we had in our, in our presence, just an absolute gem. So, yeah, that's cool. There's a lot of, a lot of y'all folks are going to build some stuff and, say, and we'll go, wow, that person was at, you know, Pacific 2023. Like, I didn't even realize, you know, so it's, it's awesome. All right, so we've got a couple minutes left before we have to end this segment. Um, we'll roll with some closing comments anybody up here wants to make before we end here. We do have a couple of moments to take some questions from the audience. If anybody has questions for Tomer, for Tip, for Dombe, Peter, Ant, myself, fire away. Anybody want to know anything about Bitcoin that you're curious about? I could jump on it real quick. Can you repeat the question so everybody can hear what it is? Yeah, it's just while, while you were coming into the conference, you got a text that there was a quote from Hillary Clinton that said that right-leaning folks need to be rounded up and re-educated. And how does Bitcoin kind of fit in? I'll just give you my take. I mean, I see that the, the current system we have, this two-party system, is a polarizing wrestling match that I, I view as like a distraction for everyone. And Bitcoin is a uniting, uh, you know, it unites us. And, and to, to answer that, I think Bitcoin offers great opportunities to put the show aside that benefits parties doing other things. You'll often see, you know, when there's something in the news, look, at, look what else is going on because there's something else that, that you should be looking at. Bitcoin help us, helps us focus on the important things and just like forget about this you know, division. Um, and so that's how I see it pertaining to that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, and I've said this before on the space that, you know, the, 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 the entire like left versus right, in my opinion, left versus right, Democrat, you know, Republican, Libertarian, all that stuff is a, is a con control device. I mean, set up by these people that are in power to keep us fighting with ourselves. You know, we, we have to be at each other's throats. What other way can we control 8 billion people and, you know, other than categorizing them and putting them into different groups and, and, and trying to get everybody in, in, in group thinks and in little boxes and you just, we're fighting with each other over the wrong things as far as how it relates to Bitcoin. I mean, right now, at some point, like, there's going to be like this narrative that, you know, and you've probably already seen it, that like Bitcoin is for right wingers or Bitcoin is for the people that you don't like or whatever it is. And that's that's the wrong like framework like at some point if this is world money then everybody's going to be here you know able to use this system you can come and go as you please like it doesn't have to be like right left like that's their framework that's the framework that they're trying to keep us fighting with each other for yeah maybe i'll i'll make one quick point about it after the applause <laughs> so i don't even know if, if it's a true statement but the the idea behind it that we need everyone to agree because there is one right opinion, right? Like there, there's one correct opinion and, and those who don't hold the opinion stand in the way of the dominance of executing the society that aligns with holding that opinion is a, is a really flawed concept because we don't all have to agree on everything. Right? And in fact, we don't know, 
one thing that education teaches us is that we are constantly learning. We have a theory that we think explains how people get sick, turns out to be wrong, turns out that there's more knowledge. We think we understand how the universe works, turns out we were wrong. So even in the realm of proven scientific theories, we keep finding small flaws in them and then extending them. So th this notion that we have knowledge and we need to educate everybody with the identical knowledge and convince and re-educate those who don't buy in is, is a mistaken concept. Not everyone needs to agree on everything. Disagreement is very, is in fact very good. If we have a mechanism for settling disagreements, which we will in some cases and not in others, that's all the better. Which is, it again, just to bring it back to Bitcoin, it's kind of this I irony. Because Bitcoin is the one thing we all agree on, right? Like, and I'm not saying we all agree that Bitcoin is good. Every bit in the Bitcoin blockchain, right, which no one can predict what it'll be, but when it gets... I, I haven't heard anyone shout out a bit block has been found, so... I assume we're just not looking there. But every time one is found, there's a consensus algorithm that says, this is, va this is valid. We all, everyone who runs it, agrees this is the data that's in this block and every block that precedes it. So we actually have something in the world that we all can agree on with perfect fidelity. It doesn't tell you what to think. It doesn't tell you what politics to have. But it tells you what the state of the ledger is based on the rules that have been set forth since the beginning. Just to bring it back around to my first comment. So we do have something we can all agree on. And, uh, and, and it teaches us, though, that we don't have to all agree on everything. So Dom and I are in competition, and I just jumped right on him. Thank you very much, Dom. He was slow, slow to the gun. I just want to say I agree with everything everybody said, and I want to sum it up as we can trust Bitcoin. Before Bitcoin, I was kind of lost. I didn't, you know, when this kind of thing happened, I didn't really know where to go. I didn't, I, there was no warm blanket. There was no cocoon. There was nothing that I owned. I'm going to go back to unconfiscatability again. If, if you own your own, if you have your own keys, you own the damn thing. It's the only thing I've owned in my entire life. It's the only thing that I can actually trust. It's based on math. It's mine. Nobody can tell me what to do with it. And so when things like that happen in the political world, I can then kind of sit back and go, you know what? I have Bitcoin. I trust Bitcoin. And it doesn't really matter what happens outside of that because it does not affect me. That's, that, I mean, that's, if that's what it comes down to for me is this thing is mine and no one can take it away from me. Last comment, Dom, we're wrapping. It, it, Bitcoin helps us focus on the things that matter. You know, if you take someone from one political party and someone from another, and both of them can't afford air conditioning on the hottest day of the year. They may be arguing over some issues, but I bet you if they stop and go, wait, you don't have AC and I don't have AC, that's what sucks right now. That it helps, Bitcoin helps us focus on how are we building wealth, how are we protecting our future, our family, et cetera. Yeah, you have to think for yourself. Like the world has never seen this before. And so you're gonna see all kind of like people trying to take down like, you know, and give you these bad FUD messages and articles trying to control your thinking on how you should approach this. The world has never seen this before. And when you're living through the one time only, one way only accumulation phase of a novel asset capped at 21 million units, you can trust no one but your own knowledge. You're going to have to do your own research and you're gonna have to figure out who are the good actors and who are the bad actors in this space. You're gonna have to figure that out. So good luck. Hurry up, fam. Hurry up. Plebs better hurry up. Everybody who listens to Cafe Bitcoin already knows the people who are trying to control your thought, control your speech, do all that other kind of stuff, divide us. They're lizards. Don't listen to them. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin Live Day 2 of Pacific Bitcoin. I hope you guys all have an outstanding day.